I'm Sarah Lindquist from Fuse. We're an early stage venture firm based right here in the Pacific Northwest. And just like the founders in our portfolio, we are just getting started. We believe that founders deserve more, more urgency, more community, more expertise, more reliability, more of everything. And we aim to deliver. Today, we're back with our Operational Excellence Series. This week's episode features a conversation between Fuse GP Brendan Wales and Fuse operating partner Bobby Wagner. As an all-pro linebacker, Bobby continues to be at the top of his game, having recently completed his 11th NFL season. He leads with humility, yet continues to perform at the highest level. In this session, Bobby will share insights on how to sustain high performance while under immense competitive pressure, and how to inspire others around you to do the same. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's get started. Be all grateful for your support, and it's not easy to do this on the side while playing football full-time. Appreciate it, man. I'm excited to be on and excited to get these questions going and talking to everybody. The idea came up about a month ago. Oh, actually, it was when we met in December. Kellen and Cam and I went down and visited him and met with some limited partners and Saw Bobby play, and after the game, after four or five hours on the field, he took a shower, came up to the group of about like 20 or 30 people that know him really well. He started making the rounds, shaking hands, talking business. And I'm like, my God, this guy's such a professional to have this type of energy 11 years in. You look like a million bucks. It looked like you didn't even play a game. And I thought to myself, wow, if our portfolio CEOs could learn something from Bobby, this is the one thing. Like This endurance is amazing and an inspiration. So that's really the topic today. It's how can we all pick our heads up 10 years from now and feel maybe better than we did at day one? Yeah, I would say the first thing for me is taking care of my body is the number one thing. I think that's what has allowed me to play as long as I play, but also allowed me to have as, as clear of mind to have. I'm very on it. And it's not even just a seasonal thing. It's a year round thing. I got a massage later on today. And it's just being mindful, finding different ways to take care of your body because you got to understand only the way that you dominate your business, regardless of what business you're in, you got to take care of your body and your mind first. So they really preach that with us. And I think even talking to players that are retired, that's the one thing that they struggle with is when you're in the league, they force you to make sure that you're taking care of your body. And when you get done in the league, they kind of fall off with that. And so I can only imagine people that don't necessarily take care of their body, how that would turn out. So it's a big thing for me. It's something that I think allows me to have that energy regardless of the situation. Yeah, and you're well known, especially in the Seattle world of putting in that extra step, doing hot yoga on Wednesdays, even during the season for us here at Fuse or the folks that are running our portfolio companies after a long day, it's so hard to do that extra thing because maybe you think to yourself, hey, you know, I'd rather just sit and watch TV rather than taking that extra step. How were you able to sort of get yourself in this mindset of doing that extra thing after already having played 12 games that season, but making that extra time for it? I think the biggest thing starts from wanting to outwork your opponents, wanting to outwork the people that are either trying to take your spot or the people around you. You want to, even as a leader, when you have people watching you, if you're doing the extra stuff and you're taking the extra the step, then you encourage other people to do that. So I think it started from that. Even like in the weight room, if they got 10 reps, I tried to do 11. If they mm-hmm. got 15, I tried to do 16. So then that stems into after while everybody's going home, watching the game or doing other things, like what can I do to make myself better? I think that's what stems from it. Because if you do exactly what everybody else does, then you will be like everybody else. And so 
I was always trying to be different in every way. And that's just another way I found to be different. Yeah. And just like a football team or portfolio companies, there's a lot of different personalities within a group of people. And it's not always winning. Most of the time in in the startup world, especially people that maybe come from a big corporate environment, you get in a startup world and you realize you're hearing a lot of no's and that there may not be a whole lot of success. And there's certainly been ups and downs across the various teams that you've played on. Obviously, it's a new team every single year. Yeah. How do you think about managing ups and downs, the bad games, the bad stretches to get back to oh, just even getting to the point where you even have a chance of winning a game, which is hard enough? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is you got to create an environment of consistency. And I think that's in our world is important, especially with the Seahawks and being with the Rams for this past season. Trading that level of consistency is what helps you get through the good and bad times because you never want to get too high. You never want to get too low. And so when you have a really good game that you want to get back to the program, get back to the schedule that allowed you to have that good game. And then when you have a bad game or, you know, it's not going the way that you want, you have to have the belief in that schedule, belief in that system that you've created and get back to it. So I think that's what allowed us as Seahawks to win so long because we had such a regimen. We knew what Monday through Saturday was going to look like. And so whether we had a good or bad game, we knew the coaches were going to come in and be positive. We knew that they were going to put in the work in as were we to get us back on track. And so I think that's the start of it. And then just trusting in the people around you, believing in the people around you and controlling what you can control. Because a lot of times when teams lose, they try to reinvent their wheel in the middle of the season. That's not possible. And it also shows you didn't believe in what you said Mm -hmm. uh, the first time. And so I would say that's our biggest thing is creating an environment of consistency that people believe in that is focused on one goal. And I think that's what helps us. Yeah, it's interesting, this idea of trying to change a strategy in the middle of a season, that being very difficult to do, uh, yeah. it sounds like, uh, especially when there's only a week between games. In the startup world, there's always these moments where you're thinking about switching the go-to-market or maybe changing somebody, a leadership position within the team, and you, but you don't want to lose momentum, but, but maybe you need to make these drastic changes and it's not necessarily an easy thing to do. But from what I'm picking up on is sort of maintaining that consistency over an extended period of time and saying, hey, look, this is the plan. And maybe at the end of the season, reevaluating, but not being too drastic mm-hmm. in the eighth game. Yeah, because you want to trust the work that you put in, especially for us. It's such a long period of time before you get to the season. So by the time you get to the season, we have OTAs and all these different things. So you would like to think that you've worked out the kinks by the time the season comes. And so the biggest thing for us is when we get into the season, we just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. And that's the biggest thing is just, like you said, there's so many different personalities, so many different characters, so many different people. Routines are different. But regardless, I think that's what coaches do well is they take each unique thing about a person, about a player, and they find a way to put their eye on the one goal, which is winning that particular game and winning a Super Bowl. And I think that applies to business as well, just making sure you have your team on the same page, understanding what is the goal, whether it's this quarter, the next quarter, next year, and making sure that everybody's doing their part to get the team to that goal. It's one thing being a a great performer, but it's another thing also being a leader at the same time. And that's something you've been able to do for a long period of time. How has your leadership 
positioning or your approach to being a leader on the team changed from earlier on in your career until now? And maybe also how it's changed as you move from one company to another, essentially from team to team. Yeah, I think early on in my career, it was more because I came in and the middle linebacker position, the position that kind of called the shots. And so I was trying to tell 28, 27-year-olds at 21 what to do. And so trying to be able to relate to them, I think, was the biggest thing. But also finding my leadership style, because I think a lot of times where people go wrong is, is they look at somebody and they try to emulate that. And maybe that's not necessarily their type. So I had that moment where I looked at people that I looked up to and try to emulate those guys. And that wasn't necessarily my style. So I took like a year or, or off season to figure out who I liked and who best fit me. And they molded into my own thing. And that's kind of what happened with Seattle. And then as I transitioned to the Rams, it was kind of like I was the older guy that had a lot of experience. And so when I got to there, it was more so when we were having those tough moments during the season is sharing our scars, sharing why were there still a reason to believe that something could change or something can be possible, given different scenarios that I've been a part of that didn't look so good, that turned out better than what we thought and trying to figure out ways for basically get everybody to believe that although the season wasn't going the way that we wanted to, there wasn't a reason to believe. And also it could be something that can catapult the next season. Right. One thing that a lot of our portfolio company CEOs have is various mentors, people that give advice. And it's always great to get good advice, but it's not necessarily the perfect amount or the right. How would you think about mentors over the years? How have you taken feedback from people, whether solicited or unsolicited, and mm-hmm. use that advice for yourself? Mentors is so important, especially all over the place. I've got so many mentors in the business space, and I've got so many mentors in the football world as well. I just think the biggest thing that people struggle with is feeling like they have to do this by themselves and they don't have to do this by themselves. They can find different people that can lean on to. Again, like I said, with the Rams, it's like there's people out there that's gone through what you've gone through, experienced what you're potentially experiencing and can help navigate you or not have to go through those pains that they went through. And so I'm always reaching for help, always reaching out for people. And I'm not afraid to say I don't know something and trying to figure it out. And so I think that's the biggest thing. So even when I first got into the league, I reached out to Ray Lewis and yeah. Ray Lewis has became a big mentor of mine. I just saw him last week. We still talk every day and he's been big for me. And same thing with views like John became a really big mentor of mine early on. And it's only expanding the tree just keeps expanding because when you surround yourself with good people, they want to see you win. And when you surround yourself with people that know how to win, it's contagious. Yeah, for sure. And clearly you learn from a lot of folks around how to take care of your mind and your body. What are some of those micro things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis? One thing I've noticed is on Tuesdays, we have lunch catered in and it's not necessarily the healthiest thing. And Bobby's (laughs) past it and he grabs the nectarine and, and sits there and munches on that rather than the Indian food. What are some other examples of things? There's just some rules to life in order to make sure Bobby has a good season. I think diet is a big thing. So like you said, uh, there's a point in time where I'm pretty strict with my diet because I think what you free yourself with, you know, really affects your thoughts and really affects everything, the way your body functions. So I start there. I like to meditate. I try to do it every day, but definitely something that I think has been big in my life. Yoga has been big because it's a lot of things stretching. And again, it's a mental aspect, a part of yoga. And every off season, I try to find something that I want to learn. And so I picked up Duolingo and trying to learn Spanish and I'm trying to figure out this piano. 
And so anything that's outside of your norm and outside of what you are accustomed to doing to challenge yourself, I think that's big mentally as well. Love that. Well, I got one more question, then we'll hop into someone's also asked a question. So that's great. One thing I, I'm always curious of, Bobby, you, you got two great daughters. How do you manage that part of your life? Obviously, they're in the season, there's a lot going on. How do you think about that balance? Also, maybe the guilt of putting 12, 15 hours days in during the season and maybe not spending as much time with your kids. And a lot of these founders are going through the same thing. Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is communication. I think that's first where I would start. I think a lot of times people have a certain schedule and they don't communicate it. And so if your family doesn't know what your schedule looks like, then they start to assume, okay, he, he works from eight to five. So they assume that you should be done around six mm -hmm. and maybe you have a meeting at six and maybe you have a dinner at six. And so I would say the biggest thing for me is communication. And then you understand it's a sacrifice, but also you can sacrifice certain things. So for me, I set aside time to make sure that I have time for my family. And sometimes that means waking up a little bit earlier to get my work done so I can have that time at night or going to sleep earlier so I can take them to school or things of that nature. So you try to find this routine that works for not only yourself, but the people around you. And I think as you do that and as you communicate, people, especially your family, start to understand what that life looks like and they feel included. And when you include your family and scheduling, include your family in what you're doing, I think that makes it easier for the bigger picture because obviously you're sacrificing your time and sacrificing certain things to create more time. Because when you have a successful business and you have certain things and maybe you sell it, it allows you that freedom to be around your family a little bit more. And so yeah. that's what I would say is the biggest thing is communication and just sacrificing your time maybe early on or later to make time, be conscious of trying to make time for your family. Yeah. And one thing that's probably a little different for what our portfolio CEOs are going through and what you're going through is you can't play linebacker when you're 50 years old, right? And in some ways, that's probably very motivating, right? Hey, I want to be out here as long as humanly possible. And so I got to bust my butt for the next four or five years. But for some of these CEOs, they're thinking, hey, if I bust my butt, I'm going to have to bust my butt more for another 10 mm -hmm. years, right? Maybe yeah. even a public company. And so having to compartmentalize and manage that is a little bit of a challenge, but it sounds like communication. And, and I would imagine the serial entrepreneurs in this bucket all have probably similar feedback. Yeah. But I think kind of to your point, regardless of the situation is you make time for what's important for you. And when you are that leader and you are that CEO of a company, one nice thing about it is you can delegate how you use your time. So once you get good at delegating how to use your time, I think making family time and making the time you spend with your family as important as those meetings that you set is a big thing. When do you know whether or not something is enough? Like for all these folks, it's like maybe making that extra sales call or mm -hmm. taking that extra meeting on a Saturday morning. How have you been able to strike that balance? I think it's more of a field thing. You never really truly know because at the end of the day, you want to keep working and you want to make sure that you're maximizing your time with your family, but also maximizing your time with your craft that you're trying to develop or your company that you're trying to grow. And so I don't think there's a right answer to that. I just think you do what feels right in that moment, but also make sure that you're conscious that you're not leaving one cup unfilled. Right. Yeah. I like that. That's a good metaphor. Okay. So two good questions here from Mike. First, coaching is such a carousel in the NFL. It seems like half the teams are fired. And one year after the other, you've worked with two great coaches, Pete Carroll and Sean McVay. 
what have they done differently to be able to maintain that success? And it's obviously interesting for you because you're only one year in with Sean, but I'm sure a lot of those attributes are popping up pretty fast. The biggest difference is their age. Obviously, Pete is the oldest in the league and Sean is the youngest in the league. So Pete's experience is kind of night and day to Sean. And so I think that would be the biggest thing. But the overall philosophy they have that I feel that works is they do a really good job of getting to know the people that they work with. And they do a really good job at not necessarily changing because even in Seattle, like we had so many different characters. We had quiet, we had loud, we had people that were out there, things of that nature. And Pete never tried to get people to act anything different than what themselves. But the biggest thing that he did was he tried to maximize who you were. And so he wanted you to be the best version of who you were. He never wanted to change anybody. And I think that's what Sean wants as well. Is, and I think that's what's allowed them to be successful. Is they are really good at getting the best out of people and maximizing who people are. Can you recall a situation where maybe your regiment or your training was different because they were trying to unlock the best Bobby Wagner, maybe compared to the rest of the team? I think the biggest thing was them understanding that I had to be the leader and know everybody. So I had to put in extra time and they sat in extra time with me to sit and watch the film because they knew that I needed to know everybody. Like, even though Sherm knew everybody, Sherm could just focus on corner if he wanted to. Same thing with Michael Bennett could just focus on playing the line. But like me, I had to know what everybody was doing. So they took that time to make sure that I understood it the way that they understood it so I can convey the message to both sides. I like that. To double click on that, you entering the league, feeling good. You know, this is something that a lot of our CEOs are dealing with too, is there's probably a little bit of doubt and fear. And that's one thing you can't have on the football field. You probably get hurt if you do. How did you overcome that getting into the league and having to play against the most athletic people in the world? I think what you've learned over time is you embrace those thoughts and you embrace those feelings. Like you can't act like they don't exist. Everybody has doubt at some point in their life. Everybody has fear at some point in life. And the biggest thing is ask yourself, why? Why is that? Most times when people doubt something, they're not necessarily prepared. And uh, when people fear something, it could be the same thing. And so instead of focusing on the doubt or the fear, you switch it to the preparation and you put your energy into preparing for the thing that you might be doubting. And I think yeah. preparation gets rid of fear because the games that I've gone into and I've been really, really confident with, I knew exactly what I was going to do. My preparation was amazing and there was nothing that they were going to do that was going to stop me. And so I think that would be the biggest thing. Like if you have fear or doubt, you kind of ask yourself, where is it coming from? And see if you can solve that with your preparation. Because a lot of times it's just, we fear the unknown. We fear what may or may not happen. But that's something that's not in our control. But what's in our control is how we prepare for that unknown. That's great. Yeah, for sure. All right. So on that, so Ryan says, how do you handle the stress of being a leader and a high performer at the same time? Founding a company can be very lonely. How do you handle the stress being in that leadership position? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lonely position because while everybody, at least in my world, like while everybody gets to go home and play video games and things like that, I need to make sure that they've done the work that they need to do. I need to say things that they might not want to hear. And so you kind of get put in that space, but everybody has their role. And so a role as a leader is to make sure that I'm an extension of the coach. Like I make sure that the guys that I'm on the field with are performing at their best and making sure they're as prepared as I am. And so I embrace my role. My role as a leader is to make sure that my defense or this team is performing 
the way they need to perform. Same thing with CEO. And so you find a way to push people, you find a way to get the most out of people. But I think through the relationships that you make, as you get close with the people that you're working with, they understand your role and what you're trying to do. And it makes it a little bit easier. I love that being the extension of the CEO. I think sometimes the senior leadership, maybe they don't feel that way. And maybe the CEO doesn't feel like they are an extension of them. Maybe they're worried about their own performance or or whatever it may be, rather than sort of relaying the message down to the troops to get the actions done. And so it's interesting for you to have that, that perspective. In extension with that, I would say empowering the people around you is good. I think that helps as well is because you make the people feel like this is not just your business, that they're a part of this company as well. And the more that you make them feel like it's not just them working for you, but they're working for the company and it'll create alignment with the vision. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure we could probably do an entire hour on this question, but what advice would you give your 20-year-old self if you were to start all over again? Man, 20-year-old self, what was I doing at 20? Well, I think I was still in college at 20. I would say one of the things that I didn't value in college was networking. And people talk about studying and learning and classes and all those different things, but making connections with people is so important. I found that out when I got to the league. And so I would say start earlier than I did. Start networking and connecting with people earlier because you never know who will be kind enough to open the door for you. Now, we're not supposed to talk too much about specific things around football for this, but Matt had to ask any quarterbacks you get excited to go against. And I'm either taking this as someone you're going to pick off every time or someone you got a little vengeance against. Tom Brady, before I retired, was always fun to go against. Aaron Rodgers was always fun. Who else? I mean, this past season, Russ was kind of fun to go against. So, (laughs) So, yeah. He teed you up on that. All right. From Taylor, culture is such an important thing within an organization, especially in a locker room. Given your leadership role, how do you establish and maintain a strong culture given the nature of professional sports and roster turnover? which is very much like startups, same deal. I think the biggest thing is creating the culture. And I'll just talk about the Seattle culture, but it was a really fun culture. It was a culture that, again, you can be yourself. You didn't have to hide who you were. And you also had high expectations. Like we expected you to have fun, but do your job. And so if fun was happening and doing your job wasn't, you would be called out. The thing for us is as the transitions happened, you had those certain core players or certain core people that was able to, again, be extension of the CEO, be extension of the coach and communicate what is expected in this culture, what is expected on this team. And I think that's the biggest thing is imprinting your culture so much to where no matter who walks into the building or who walks on the team, everybody around knew what the culture was and they were able to express that to anybody. And anybody who came in, if you didn't learn fast enough, you were out of there. And so... Mm-hmm. That was kind of the biggest thing. Or if you didn't embrace the culture or didn't become a part of the culture, you were out of there. That in and of itself is part of the culture. Yeah. Knowing that, hey, if this person's not a high performer, they're out of here. And that's what a lot of our founders struggle with, right? Because you may think that that will impact culture, but maybe it's actually better for the culture. Yeah, because the people that are embedded in your culture know they can tell the way somebody works, the way somebody approaches their craft, whether or not they're cut for this culture or not. Again, with the Seahawks, We had such a fun culture, a culture that gave you the power to be who you were, but also the freedom to do whatever you needed to do. And so sometimes as a young player, you had to learn quick. They weren't going to baby you. They weren't going to sit there and watch you 24-7. It became a profession. You're a professional now. So get your job done. 
Make sure you're doing your workouts. Make sure you're studying. And if you weren't doing that and just having fun, then again, it wasn't cut out for you. And you go to a different culture where maybe it's more strict and you don't get to have that fun. And then I think through that, you gain experience that not every culture is the same. And so you want to create a culture that people hear about and want to be a part of. Mm, You felt like when you were at the Seahawks, you were getting calls like, man, I would love to be a part of that team when folks were- 100%. 100%. They, anytime somebody signed with us from another team, they would say, man, we heard about the culture here with Seahawks, man. We decided to be a part of it. And then when they were a part of it, again, we would come in and the meeting would play and the music's blasting. And somebody would come from, for example, the Patriots where maybe they don't play music at all. And so they came in like, yo, is, is this real? Like, yeah, it's real. Once Pete comes in, the music cuts off and he starts going. And so, again, you want to establish a culture that people hear about and want to be a part of. This is great. Anything else you want to leave for the founders before we let you go, Bobby? Nah, the thing I would say is just keep going. I would say that I know there's a lot of troubling times right now, given all the layoffs and things like that. I don't know. But I think that these next few years, a lot of companies are going to be really, really special. And I hope one of the founders is that special company. Great. Thank you very much. And as you all know, Bobby's a part of the team. You all have his email. So feel free to give him a shout and try to get what we can from him while he has the time. But so grateful for your time today, Bobby. Thank you again for everything and appreciative of you doing this. No problem. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. As always, we appreciate you joining us. See you on the next one.